It's a privilege, it's a blessing to be here in the house of the Lord and to sing praises to his name and to worship him and to exalt his mercy and his love and his grace. Uh, God placed something in my heart to share with you this morning. And uh, I hope this message is taken not as, as condemnation because we all fall short of God's glory. And we all need the Lord's grace. But the Lord placed something in my heart that I think we need to, uh, to be reminded of. I heard, uh, actually, I was in court here in Canada once. Uh, but not for something wrong I did. I was in court with someone else who had uh, received a, a speeding ticket. Not a speeding ticket, a traffic ticket. And so I was there and I was impressed with the fact that the lawyers, when they address the judge, they call him by your worship. Right? I would expect your honor, but your worship was new to me. I was impressed with that. And the judge is usually the last one to enter into the courtroom. Right? Everyone is there. There is some initial uh, conversation or debate. And then at some point, all rise because the judge is entering the room. And they all address him as your worship. And I heard a story of, uh, of a lady who was in court. Uh, she was apparently defending him, herself. And when her time to speak came and she stood up, before she would say a single word, the judge stopped her and said, the session is, a, the court is adjourned because you are not dressed properly. She was wearing shorts. And court was adjourned and the lady had to go home and come back another time. And this makes me think of uh, how do we approach God when we come into his presence? If we turn to a man who is an honorable man who is a, or an honorable woman who has studied the law, who is prepared to, uh, to defend the right terms of the law, and we address them by your honor or your worship, how should we come before the presence of the Lord? So this is what we are going to talk today. But before we do that, let me ask you to join me in prayer as we ask God's blessing for this moment. study your word and your word is going to be proclaimed I ask Lord that we may be cleansed from all unrighteousness Amen. that our minds may be clear we may be able word and hum, uh, humble ourselves and to be able to listen to your word father I ask you that you may hide me hide me behind the cross of Christ that every word that I say here may be an expression of your will for us and not my own these blessings I ask you in the name of Jesus so the first question would be, why do we worship God? Why do we worship God at all? Uh, why do we worship someone that we cannot see? How can we come before someone we can't even see? And how should we come before the presence of God? And when we think about church, 
what makes this place, what makes this building the house of God? We call it the house of God, don't we? So what makes this building special in any way? So if you have your Bibles on you, uh, you will take your Bible now because we're going to be going through several Bible verses. I don't even think Eugene will be able to keep up with this, with the, with the text here on the screen. So you better grab a Bible. If you don't have one, there are some Bibles in the pew, uh, and so you can grab one. But the first reason why we worship God is because He's God the Creator. He's the Creator God. So let's go back to Genesis 1, verse 1. What does the Bible say there? Genesis 1, 1. In the beginning, God created. In the beginning, who created? God created. Created what? The heavens and the earth. And everything that is in the heavens and the earth, God created. In the beginning. Now you turn your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 3. Hebrews 11, Verse 3, the Bible says that through faith, through faith, we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God. So that things which are seen were not made of things which do appear. So the Apostle Paul is reinforcing here the fact that the worlds were framed by the word of God. Some translations say that the universe, the worlds, the universe were framed by the word of God. And how do we know that? How do we know that God is the creator? It is through faith, right? Because the word of God says so, and we believe it. We have faith in God that this was so. Second Peter, we go a little further down, closer to the end of the Bible. Second Peter chapter 3, verse 13. Second Peter 3, 13. And the Bible says, Nevertheless, we according to his promise... Look for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. So God not only created the heavens and the earth in the beginning, He still has creative power. And one day, even though this world has been tainted by sin, even though this world is no longer as beautiful as it was when it came out of the Creator's hand, God is going to restore it to its original beauty. And the Bible promises that. So Peter is saying that we have this hope that God will restore everything to the state it was before sin came into this world. And John the, the, the revelator, John in prophetic vision in Revelation chapter 21 verse 1. He pointed out to the time, to the point in time when this word of Peter would have been fulfilled. Revelation 21 verse 1 says, Now I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. Also there was no more sea. So John is seeing that God has fulfilled the promise given by Peter here, by, uh, through Peter, that he would create new heavens and a new earth. Now, not only God created heavens, not only God created all the planets, all the universe, not only God created the earth, he also created you and I. So go, let's go back to the first book of the Bible, Genesis chapter 1. Genesis, the same chapter that says that in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth in verses 26 and 27. Genesis 1, 26, 27. The Bible says, Then God said, Let us make man in our image, according to our likeness. Let them have dominion 
over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over the cattle, over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created him. So the man here is used as a, as a general uh, uh, definition, but it's actually man and woman were created by God. And the Bible is clear here when it says that male and female, God created them. So God created you and I. The Bible says that. And because he created us, we owe him worship. We owe him praise and worship. Let's go back to Revelation 14 now. Revelation 14, 7. The Bible, the Bible enjoins us to worship our creator God. Revelation 14, 7. Saying, this is the first of the three angels of Revelation 14. And he has a message, an important message. The everlasting gospel. And he starts saying, saying with a loud voice, Fear God and give glory to him, for the hour of his judgment has come. And worship him. Who made heavens and earth, the sea and the springs of the water. So we are told to worship God because he created us. Let's go back to Psalm, the book of Psalms. Psalm 95. Psalm 95 verse 6. Psalm 95 verse 6. I warned you before that we were going to go over several texts. So don't, don't get upset at me. But this is the word of God. Psalm 95 verse 6. Oh, come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker. And the definition that the psalmist, uh, the qualification that the psalmist brings here to the Lord is that we should bow down because he is the Lord, our maker, the one who created us. So it is clear from the Bible that we worship God because he created us. Now, how can you and I worship someone we can't see? When you go to the courtroom and, and it is announced that the judge is going to enter the room, all rise for the judge is coming and then you're worshiping. You see the person there. But how can you worship someone you don't see? And the answer we have already read. We'll go back to it in the book of Hebrews chapter 11. Thank you because of, it's through faith. Hebrews chapter 11 verse 3. It says, through faith, we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God. Now, is there anyone here? This, I know this is a silly question, but is there anyone here who was able to witness their own birth? I didn't witness my own birth. I don't know how it happened. I, all I know is that at some point in my life, I started to get awareness of things, to gain awareness of things, and then I... I realized I had a, a father, I had a mother, I had two sisters. I had one sister at the time, actually. And then no one was ever able to witness their own birth. But we are here. And the Bible says that God created us. And so we believe it is through faith that we believe that. Not even Adam. Adam, who was a perfect human being when he was created, he didn't witness his own creation either. All of a sudden, when God breathed the bread of life into his nostrils, all of a sudden, Adam became a living being, and, and he knew life the way it was. But he was not able to see how God did it. And if you think about it, Adam didn't even witness Eve's creation. 
right? Because he was what? Was sleeping. He had fallen asleep and God removed a, a, a rib from his side and he made Eve out of that bone. And then when Adam came out of his sleep, he saw Eve already there. So it is only by faith that we accept the fact that God is our creator. Uh, we can't replicate that. We can't do it by ourselves, but we accept that God has power to create everything, including you and I. It is by faith that we accept that He is our Creator. It is through the eyes of faith that we can see God. So how can we worship someone we cannot see? We can see God, indeed. And we can see Him by? Oh, I don't think it's clear. We can see God through the eyes of faith. But that's not all. So we come to worship God because He is our creator. He created the whole universe and He created you and I. And we come to worship someone who we cannot see with the physical, with the human eye, but we can see through the eyes of faith. But the Bible also shows us that there is something special Something special happens when God's people gathers to worship Him. When God's people gather to worship God, there is something special that happens. And what is it? God manifests Himself. God makes Himself manifest in the presence of the people. He's present when we come to worship Him. How do you know that, Pastor? Oh, I know that because the Bible says so. So let's see what the Bible says. It's not me saying. Isaiah chapter 6. Isaiah chapter 6 verse 1. This is what our brother Lemmy just read in the beginning. So God chose, God chose to reveal himself fully only in the heavenly sanctuary. That's the only place. That's the only place where God has revealed himself fully. Okay, so that's important for us to understand. The only place where God has revealed himself fully with his unveiled glory is in the heavenly sanctuary. And so Isaiah, a man like you and I, he was taken up in vision and he was transported and in vision he saw the throne of God. That's what he says here in Isaiah 6.1. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Isaiah doesn't say, I saw the Lord wearing a veil. I saw the Lord partially. I saw the Lord from the back. No, Isaiah says that I saw the Lord high and lifted up, sitting on a throne. So that's the only place where God has revealed His glory fully and completely. The same idea is brought to us in Revelation, Revelation chapter 4. Revelation chapter 4 in verse 2, this is now John, the beloved disciple, John the Revelator. He's having a vision and he says, Immediately I was in the Spirit, Revelation 4, 2. And behold, a throne set in heaven and one sat on the throne. So this one is, is God the Father, and he sees God sitting on the throne there. That's the only place where God has revealed fully his, his glory.
But God has also consistently, through the Bible we see that, God has also consistently manifested His presence here on earth as well. Particularly when people gathered before Him to worship Him. Now, this was more of a veiled manifestation, not as fully as in heaven, but yet it was a special manifestation. So let's go to some text that will show us that God has manifested His presence powerfully in the sight of the people, though it's not as fully and openly as in heaven. Exodus, Exodus chapter 19, the second book in the Bible, Exodus chapter 19, verses 16 through 18. Exodus 19, 16 through 18. While you're you were looking it up. This happened right before the Lord would proclaim, the Lord would give the people the Ten Commandments, His law. And so He had uh, told Moses to gather the people together, bring them together uh, right at the, the foot of the mountain, and God would then, t then uh, uh, talk to them. And so, there the people is. And then it came to pass, Exodus nineteen sixteen through 18. Then it came to pass on the third day in the morning that there were thunderings and lightnings and a thick cloud on the mountain. And the sound of the trumpet was very loud, so that all the people who were in the camp trembled. And Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet with God. And they stood at the foot of the mountain. And now Mount Sinai was completely in smoke because the Lord descended upon it in fire. Its smoke ascended like the smoke of a furnace and the whole mountain quaked greatly. Do you see here this supernatural, power, powerful manifestation of God happened when the people were called to gather before God. So... When God's people get together, there is a special manifestation. That's, that was not the only occasion. I want to take you to another one, or to at least two other ones. Now, God gave them the law, the Ten Commandments. God gave them several other uh, laws and instructions and regulations. And now in chapter 24, 25, beginning chapter 25, God gives Moses instruction to build a tabernacle. So Exodus 25, verses 8 and 9. This is now what God is saying in regard to this sanctuary. God wanted to have a copy, right? God wanted to have a copy of the heavenly sanctuary here on earth. So God's manifestation would never be as open and as fully as in heaven because we can't stand it. But yet God wanted to have a copy of the sanctuary, of the heavenly sanctuary here on earth. So that his presence could be manifested as well. And so he calls Moses and tells Moses verses 8 and 9 in Exodus 25. And let them make me a sanctuary that I may dwell among them. According to all that I show you that is the pattern of the tabernacle and the pattern of all its furnishings. Just so you shall make it. And so God is telling Moses you, you are going to build this sanctuary here on earth. Just exactly like the pattern you saw in heaven. The, the pattern I'm showing you. And in fact, God said, I want to have a place where I can dwell. That I may dwell among them. So let the people build a sanctuary that I may dwell among them. And in fact, God's presence was manifested in the tabernacle. 
Now, when the tabernacle was finally arranged and, and raised and set up, the Bible says that the glory of the Lord did manifest, did fill the temple. Let's see now in Exodus 40. Now, Exodus 25 all the way through uh, the chapter 40 of Exodus, that's the description of the building of the tabernacle, how the people brought offerings and how they all pulled together to build the tabernacle. Now, the tabernacle is going to be uh, raised and dedicated. And so, Exodus 20, uh, sorry, Exodus 40, verses 34 and 35. When they were all gathered together there, the Bible says that then the cloud covered the tabernacle of meeting, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. And Moses was not even able to enter the tabernacle of meeting because the cloud rested above it, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Another supernatural, powerful manifestation of God showing that he was present there. His presence was manifested. That's not, that was not the, the last one uh, occasion where that happened. Please turn your Bibles with me to Second Chronicles. A few centuries later, centuries later, a few centuries later, Solomon, this time he built a temple. You remember that? Do you? So Solomon built a temple, and it was a, a larger temple than was a larger structure than it was than the tabernacle was. And Solomon offered a prayer of dedication. And in chapter six of Second Chronicles, chapter six of Second Chronicles, uh, Solomon is offering this prayer of dedication. He's dedicating himself, he's dedicating the people, he's dedicating the, the, the temple. And then Beginning of chapter 7, 2 Chronicles chapter 7, look at what happened there. The Bible says, when Solomon had finished praying, what came down from heaven? Fire, Fire came down from heaven and consumed the burnt offering and the sacrifices. And the glory of the Lord filled the temple. And the priests could not enter the house of the Lord, just like Moses was not able to, right? The priests could not enter the house of the Lord because the glory of the Lord had filled the Lord's house. And verse 3 says, When all the children of Israel saw how the fire came down and the glory of the Lord on the temple, they bowed their faces to the ground on the pavement and worshipped and praised the Lord, saying, For He is good and His mercy endures forever. So you see, brothers and sisters, the temple, the tabernacle first, and then the temple had this ability to bring it all together. The worship of God for being our creator, and also the worship of God for being our redeemer. Because the services in the sanctuary reminded the people of the sacrifice that Christ one day would offer on the cross. So the temple brought this all together. We worship God because He is our Creator. And we worship God because He is our Redeemer. For He is good and His mercy endures forever. Hallelujah. Now today we don't have a tabernacle. We have a church, right? We have this building, this temple, which is a church. Uh, and this church, it is not the tabernacle. And it's not the sanctuary either. 
right? We, we use the term sanctuary to refer particularly to this section of the building, right? We say uh, we are going to meet in the sanctuary and the worship service is going to take place in the sanctuary. But this is not really the sanctuary as it is in heaven. But yet, we do call this the house of God. Now, today, like I said, there is only one sanctuary. Where is the sanctuary now? Where it has always been, in heaven. The sanctuary in heaven is not the earthly sanctuary that was transported to heaven. The sanctuary in heaven has always existed. So much so that God told Moses, according to what I'm going to show you, right? So God was going to show Moses what already existed in heaven. So there is only one sanctuary standing today. It's the heavenly sanctuary. And so no longer do we have to gather just a, a few times a year like the people of Israel did. Now we meet at least every Sabbath and more often whenever possible. No longer do all of God's people have to travel all the way down to Jerusalem like the people of Israel did. Now we gather wherever we live. But the reasons why we congregate today are still the same. The reasons why we congregate for worship are still the same. We congregate for worship because God is our creator. We congregate for worship because God is our redeemer. And because there is a special manifestation of God's presence when his people come together. Amen. Do we believe that? Through faith we do. Through the eyes of faith we see that. If God has manifested himself in several instances in the Bible, and if we believe that God is the creator according to the Bible, we also have to believe that God still manifests his presence in our midst. So the, the fabric of our corporate worship today is different. We, we are not a, a tabernacle here, we're not a sanctuary, so we're not offering sacrifices, for instance. So the corporate worship we have today may be different in the way it is processed, but the reasons are still the same. Now, if the reasons why we gather for worship are no different than the reasons that God's people had in the Bible to worship Him, what does it tell us about our attitude as we come before God? Should our attitude when we come before God today be any different than God's people in the past? If the reasons why we worship Him are the same, then our attitude before God should still be the same. So, how should we come before God's presence? Well, Isaiah chapter 6. That's our scripture reading for this morning. Isaiah chapter 6. Isaiah chapter 6. And now we're going to read just verses 1 and 2. We should approach God always with reverence and humility. So Isaiah 6, 1 and 2 says... In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, high and lifted up. And the train of his robe filled the temple. Above it, 
stood seraphim. Seraphim are, are like a, a high order of angels, right? So above it stood seraphim. Each one of the seraphim had six wings. With two, he covered his face as if ashamed of being in God's presence. So much respect the angel had. With two other wings, he covered his feet. And with two other wings, he flew. And one cried to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full with his glory. So we should approach God with reverence, with respect, with humility. Go with me now back to, Revel uh, not Revelation, Second Chronicles. Second Chronicles chapter 7. We just read this passage when Solomon was dedicating the temple. And he had prayed and the glory of the Lord filled the temple. And now in verse 3, Second Chronicles 7 verse 3, the Bible says, When all the children of Israel saw how the fire came down and the glory of the Lord on the temple, what did they do? They bowed their faces to the ground, ground on the plush carpet. Does your Bible say that? No, mine doesn't either. No. They bowed their face on the ground on the pavement. That's what I have here. And they worshipped and praised the Lord saying, For He is good, for His mercy endures forever. So whenever possible, and I repeat, whenever possible, right? Uh, there are different situations, there are different uh, health conditions and everything. But whenever possible, we should approach God with, uh, with a, uh, in, in a bowed position. We should bow before the Lord. We should kneel down. We should even put our faces to the ground. That's what they did. And they, they didn't have a nice carpet like we have today that is vacuumed every week. But they would put their faces to the ground. So much respect and reverence they had for God. Ephesians chapter 3 verse 14. Ephesians 3.14. There is a similar message right there. Ephesians 3.14. Paul says, For he himself. I'm sorry. Ephesians 3.14. For this reason I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul is saying again. Because of his love. Because of his power. I bow, bow down before the Lord. And going back a little bit to Romans chapter 14. Romans 14 verse 11. Romans 14 verse 11. For it is written, As I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, and every tongue shall confess to God. So, are you pastors saying that we can only pray to God if we kneel down? We can only pray to God kneeling? No, I'm not saying that. Uh, we find in the Bible examples where people were praying even when they were in bed. Right? They were in bed meditating and, and praying to the Lord. And then they had a vision. But what I'm saying is that we should keep in mind the reverence and respect we must have before God. Because he said so. He said, every knee shall bow to me and every tongue shall confess to God. And whenever possible, we should approach God with reverence and humility. And that can be demonstrated by our posture as we kneel down, as we bow down before the Lord. And our children should learn that too, right? Our children should learn that. 
Our children should understand that we come before the presence of a holy, holy, holy God. And that we owe him reverence. Now, we come before God with reverence, with humility, with respect. We bow down before his presence. And if you forget anything I said before, okay, uh, this is what I said this morning. Basically, that we worship God because he's our creator and he's our redeemer. And, be, and we come together because there is a special manifestation of God when we come together. That's all I said before. And now, how should we approach God? First, with reverence. We should bow down before him. How should we dress when we come before God? I just told you in the beginning the, the experience where the judge had to adjourn the session, the court session, and tell the lady to go back home and dress more properly. Now, does the Bible say anything about how we should dress when we come before God? Yes, yes it does. Let's go back to Exodus. Exodus chapter 19. Exodus chapter 19. So, we'll see here if the Bible tells us that we have to wear Prada or Calvin Klein or uh, Ralph Saint Laurent, whatever it is. Or what does the Bible say? How should we dress? Or if we should come before the Lord uh, just anyway. So, Exodus chapter 19. And in verse 10, this is, the Lord, this is the Lord instructing Moses and how he should prepare the people to come before his presence. And so in verse 10, the Lord said to Moses, Go to the people and consecrate them today and tomorrow. And let them do what? Wash their clothes. So the Lord is not, he doesn't care about brands. He doesn't care about any of that. But he wants us to come to, the, to church clean. With our clothes washed. It doesn't matter if you have only one set of clothes to come to church. We come with our best clothes. Even if you have only one to come every Sabbath. That's fine. The Lord is not looking at that. But we'll bring it in the, more, in the best presentation possible. We'll wash our clothes. We'll come, we'll come to church dressed up as best as we can. Because the Lord, the Lord requires that. You remember the... the the parable that Jesus told of a wedding feast and, and people were expected to be we, uh, wearing wedding garments. And then the, the, the master or the king is going around and talking to the guests and having a good conversation with them. He's visiting every table. And then he sees someone who is not wearing the wedding garment. And he turns to the man and says, how come you're here without the wedding garment? And so... I know, I know, and we know there is a spiritual application to that. That actually we cannot produce any righteousness on our own. And so the, the wedding garments are the righteousness of Jesus Christ. We know that. But also it means that we should always come before the king of the kings dressed properly. Are you following me? Does it make sense? Okay, so we come to God, we come before God with reverence and humility. We come before God dressed the best way we can, with our clothes clean. And what about the temple? What about the temple itself? And what about the objects that are in the temple? Uh, is this temple holy? Is this building holy? Yes? Okay, I'll let you think about it.
I'm not, I'm not expected to bring, to give you all the answers. But let's go to the Bible. Second Chronicles. We'll go back to Solomon dedicating the temple. Second Chronicles. And we are coming, we are coming to, to a close here shortly. Second Chronicles chapter 7. And now you're going to go to verses, uh, to verse 5 first. I want you to pay, to pay close attention to the wording here. Okay? Let's see what God is saying here. Second Chronicles 7, 5. Now we all know that Solomon was the son of David. David uh, was the second king, right? The first king was Saul. So after Saul, David uh, was uh, uh, anointed king. And after uh, David, Solomon was the next king. So verse 5 in Second Chronicles 7 says, And King Solomon offered the sacrifice of 22,000 head of cattle and 120,000 sheep and goats. So the king and all the people did what? Dedicated the temple of God. So this temple has been dedicated to God as well. It wasn't in my time. It was when it was uh, first raised. But this temple has been dedicated to God. So this temple is, has been dedicated to the, to the glory of God. So everything we do here, particularly here, right, where we meet to worship God, should be done with that, that in mind, that this place is a place that has been dedicated to God's worship. Amen. Let's read the next verse. What about the musical instruments? Are they anything special, the musical instruments we have in the church? Uh, the equipment we have, uh, the furniture. Let's see what the Bible says here in verse 6. The priests took their positions, as did the Levites, with the Lord's musical instruments. So some other translations would say with the musical instruments of the Lord or of God. So with the Lord's musical instruments. So the text implies that the instruments were, had been dedicated to God. They belonged to God, if you will. They were the Lord's musical instruments, which King David had made for what? For praising the Lord, and which were used when he gave thanks, saying, His love endure forever. And opposite the Levites, the priests blew their trumpets, and all the, the Israelites were standing. So the instruments that had been built by David, by King David's for the worship of God, to praise God, are now being dedicated in the church, in the temple, and they are being called the Lord's instruments. So even the music we play here in the church instruments, even the use we make of the equipment, should, we should have this in mind. This should be made for the glory of, for the glory of God. Now, I talked here about reverence. I talked about being quiet in church. I talked about... Uh, being quiet to listen to God's voice. And uh, we usually have in our service a break between Sabbath school and worship service, right? And uh, that's a time where people who need to go to the washroom can go and everything. But there are others who stay here. And they would appreciate having a quiet time, being able to, to meditate, being able to read the Word. And likewise, at the end of the service, right? Right? 
It is good to visit with others and we want to talk with our brothers and sisters and, and catch up with what, uh, what happened during the week. But this conversation can be had, maybe had outside. There will be people who stay here praying and meditating and reading the Bible and they would appreciate having that quiet time as well. But when we talk about reverence, when we talk about being quiet in the presence of the Lord, I'm not saying, I'm not trying to imply at any, in any way that our service, our worship service should be something uh, burdensome, should be heavy. We should always come before the Lord with joy, not boisterous joy, right? Not uh, frivolous joy, but joy because of the assurance of salvation. Joy because we serve a living and risen Savior. Just keep your Bibles open there if you still have it. In Second Chronicles chapter 7 and verse 10. Verse 10. It says that on the third day of the seventh month, he, the king, Solomon, sent the people to their homes. Joyful and glad in heart for the good things the Lord had done for David and Solomon and for his people Israel. And if you remember Psalm 100, Psalm 100 says, Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Serve Him with gladness. Come into His presence with singing. Know that the Lord is good. It is He who made us and we are His. We are His people and the sheep of His pasture. Enter His gates with thanksgiving and His courts with praise. Give thanks to Him. Bless His name. For the Lord is good, His steadfast love endures forever, and His faithfulness to all generations. So what makes this temple special? What makes this temple the house of God? Is God's presence manifested here? Yes. God has already manifested His presence here many times. It is when, when a song is sung... That touches our heart. And we can feel the Holy Spirit presence. It is when we pray together. And we feel the Spirit moving. It is when we all sing songs of praise. It is when we pray together. But this corporate experience. Of having God's presence being manifest here. Can only take place. And listen to me on this. This corporate experience can only happen when you all come together like-minded. When, when we all come together searching for it. Because otherwise the Lord will not manifest His presence. Angels. Angels are ready to surround us every time we pray. Good angels. But we cannot give away to the fallen angels. We cannot give away to Satan. So we have to keep our minds focused. We have to keep our attitude right. And I would encourage you. This is my appeal to you today. I would appeal to you that uh, we be more careful. We be more careful with how we approach God in His house. That we be more careful when how we teach our children to respect God's presence as well. That we come before God with reverence. With the best that we can offer. And that we come like-minded. Searching for God's presence. That his presence may be manifested. I encourage you. That's, that's our homework. And I'll do that myself. 
And if you want to write it down, when you come home, read again, read again Isaiah chapter 6, verses 1 through 8. Isaiah 6, 1 to 8, and Revelation 4 and 5. Revelation 4 and 5, Isaiah 6, 1 to 8. So we can and, and try to immerse yourself in the biblical text. Try to picture the scene and see God's throne high and lifted up. And all the angels and the 24 elders and the four living creatures and all the redeemed worshiping and praising the Lord. And I hope that God will, will bless each one of us in our walk with Him. And may we make this house a place where God will, will feel pleased to manifest His presence every time we get together. May God bless us all.